0: If you are interested in trying to improve the outcomes for youth who age out of foster care, then this podcast is for you. Hi, I'm Lynn Tonini, founder of Aging Out Institute, an organization dedicated to sharing resources and strategies that help youth who have to age out of the system be able to transition to independence successfully. Now grab something to take notes and get ready for some great information. Hello, and welcome to Episode 4 of Aging Out Institute's podcast, Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Today's guests are from Pockets Change, an organization that blends hip-hop and financial education. We have with us Andrea Ferrero, the co-founder and executive director of Pockets Change, and Dialect, the director of Pedagogy. Well, hello, Andrea and Dialect. Welcome to the AOI podcast. So glad you can join us today. Excited to be here.
1: Peace, peace, peace.
0: (laughs) Wonderful. Well, why don't we dive in? And I will ask if each of you could please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you're connected with the foster care system. Andrea, I'll toss it to you first.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I'm Andrea Ferrero, and I'm the co-founder and executive director of Pockets Change. We combine hip-hop and finance, and we've been working with the foster care um, system for about seven years, and my background's in education, so I've been an educator working with K through 12, all the way up through college for over 16 years now.
1: Peace. And uh, yeah, I'm dialect. I'm a MC and educator from St. Croix in the Virgin Islands. I've been working with youth for more than 15 years now working with foster youth for more than 10 years in different areas. Uh, I worked with folks um, with foster youth back home in the Virgin Islands and have now begun working in the States with Pockets Change. They have been working in the foster system before I was brought on and uh, talking about what Andrew was saying about the hip hop thing. It's not necessarily that we combine hip hop. It's that we do, we talk about finance using the lens of hip hop pedagogy, which is the a method where we are student centered and make sure that the kids are allowed to have their voice.
0: Okay, wow, this is a really interesting model. I'm really excited to learn about what you do. Maybe we could go ahead and have you explain what Pockets Change does, how it got started, and how many youth do you work with, where do you work with them and and all of that. If you can package that together for us so that we can understand an overview of your program, that'd be fantastic.
2: Yeah, definitely. So I can kick us off a little bit and and have Dialect talk a little bit more about how we bring hip hop pedagogy in to really make an impact in talking about personal finance and really making finance personal for youth. Um, so Pockets Change has been around for a decade. Um, it really got started with me and my co-founder Pamela Kapalid. She's a certified financial planner and we were asking ourselves this question a decade ago about why more of us don't learn about money. And a lot of times these conversations about money, there's fear around money, there's shame around money. It's an emotional topic. And when it is taught, the it, it tends to focus more on formulas. And those formulas don't help us when we're out in, in the world and trying to make decisions and build habits and really get where we want to go. Um, and that's where we started to look at how we could Um, Support the communities that mattered most to us, the kind of communities that we grew up in. Um, I grew up on the reservation and I'm really passionate about working with groups that don't necessarily have the same access to resources. And that led us to a partnership with foster youth. Um, We first started doing that in California up near the Bay Area, Woodland and Davis. Um, But we now work nationally. Um, Most of our in person programs happen in New York and California. And I'll kick it to Dialect to talk more about what those programs look like in action and more about what we're all doing.
1: Yeah. Um, so we've been working mostly in New York and California. I said I came from the Virgin Islands. I've been working as an educator for a while, and money has always at least been tangentially important to the things that we do. When I work with kids, I often talked about step efficacy literacy, identity. And one of the big things in the hip-hop pedagogy thing is that hip-hop is very important for you to understand who you are, because who you are has so much to do with how you learn. And when you understand who you are and then understand how you learn, then you're able to learn anything. So my subject matter was pretty varied. I often talked about literacy. I often talked about math and, you know, some fundamental stuff. But money would always come up because kids or their parents or the organization would say, yeah, that's very nice for these kids to know themselves and for them to learn these facts and figures, but what are they going to do after they leave school and they have to take care of themselves? What are they going to do in this situation? Because I've always worked with kids who didn't have a lot, whatever buzzword, marginalized, at risk, whatever the, the school is comfortable calling them, but kids who don't have a lot and kids who have been oppressed and have been left out. And Always money came up. And when I had the opportunity to work with Pockets Change, I had a program. It was a so it was a rap program, and it was a debate program. It was Lincoln-Douglas Debate, where you would learn that through rap and freestyle. You would write a poem for your opening argument. You would freestyle your rebuttals. But I converted that into a job prep course, because a lot of our kids, they were able to speak, and they were charismatic and gregarious and all of that. But when they got in a formal situation, they didn't know what to do, and they would shut down. So I would use those performance abilities and the charisma they had, and we taught them how to code switch, how to flip that, and... if you can spit a freestyle rap to rebut some content that someone said about a subject that you both had studied then you're going to be fine when you're in a job interview and someone throws you a tough question so we brought that two pockets change for a foster care program saw how well this worked from their end they really dug the hip-hop philosophy and the energy we brought And also I saw how important and how deeply connected all of these issues were with this method. And then we just started running from there.
0: Well, that's really interesting. And I I can easily see how hip hop and debate could go together, but help us understand how you then went into the finances and making that incorporate with the hip hop, because I'm struggling a little bit picturing that. So I'm really
1: interested. Can I first ask you, um, when I said the hip hop and the debate, um, why does that easily work for you?
0: Because it's it's more verbal. It's you're you're using words. And so then when you talk about I mean, hip hop is a real uh, art form around words and using words. So I can see that connection. But when you're talking about finance and numbers, that's what I'm struggling with is to see that connection.
1: So that's really interesting stuff to talk about how hip hop is seen as something based around word and finance is seen based around the number. I contend that both are more multifaceted than that and really don't share those roots. Um, The roots are actually a little more interconnected, interconnected with each other. Hip hop is more like if you're familiar with Harwood Gardner and multiple intelligences, the idea that we learn in all these different types of ways. Yes hip-hop is the multitude of expression in the same variety you know in hip-hop we not only have rappers who are very verbal and very word-based we also have djs we have break dancers or b-boys or breakers whatever term you're for, more familiar with we also have graffiti writers these painters and they're not very verbal you know i i am friends with a lot of graffiti writers i remember when i was helping the the five points people they were you know having problems with people who are Uh, They had a community meeting and they had this whole big conversation with the community about their art and what was going on and I walked in the room and I'm a rapper and they're like rapper get up on stage and talk about what we're trying to do, because they're not verbal. They do express themselves visually. And people who are DJs, they express themselves by taking things that are already there and showing stuff that we didn't notice before. People who think like that are not just people who end up being DJs. They also end up being photographers. They also end up being directors. People who are rappers, people who are verbal, we are really good at, as you can see, we really use our words and we really use the rhythm of the way that we speak to be able to control situations and understand and read a room. And all of these different methodologies of expression are the ways that we learn. So the whole point of hip hop is for a community to get together and be able to share similar ideas from different perspectives. That's why the big important thing in hip-hop you'll find is the cipher. And that's not C-I-P-A-T-R, which is a code, but C-Y-P-A-T-R, which is a circle of people sharing an idea. You will see a rap cipher where there'll be a bunch of rappers standing in a circle they will make up rhymes. And the point isn't for any single individual to be the best. The point is for me to inspire the next person to inspire the next person so that collectively we create something. Now, finance, uh, the whole thing about finance and numbers, numbers are the way that we denote benchmarks in finance, but numbers are not the point of finance. I mean, the point of finance is supposed to be like, you know, ostensibly it's trading labor for services, goods, all that kind of stuff. But the important stuff about learning finance is understanding our relationship with money. Money is this thing that we've created, uh, this idea that we've built into this living, breathing thing that has an effect on all of us from very young. Studies have shown students as young as six years old have a relationship with money. And we've seen that in the students that we worked with We, um, around all ages. Even if you don't have a job yet, even if you have only been spending your parents' money, you're observing and you have a relationship with money. So, With this hip-hop methodology, we're able to rock with kids, get them to see, first of all, what is the thing that's important within yourself? And then secondly, how do you feel about your relationship with money? And then thirdly, how do you take that relationship and find what's important with yourself and with money to then make the decisions you would like to make for the future you want?
0: Wow. I like that. And you know what, my assumptions, because I jumped to the assumption of when I think of hip hop, I'm thinking of the music alone, but it's really a hip hop culture and so many different facets around that, as opposed to just the music, like you're saying. And, um, and it seems very application focused, which I love, as opposed to just theory. Because I think a lot of financial programs for foster youth, it's really limited to, you know, a couple of hours on, you know, how do you balance a checkbook and how do you open a bank account and so forth. So it's just very, very limited, but you're going much bigger in teaching life lessons around finance and not just the numbers,
2: Definitely. And I I think like going back to what Dialect was saying there, we've had kids come into a workshop as young as six years old, realize that the workshop's about money and say, oh, I'm really bad at money because we do develop that relationship with money at a very young age. And so we're able to start to unpack some of those feelings and acknowledge them and and look at not only our personal relationship with money but our self identity and and then thinking about that how we're operating within these larger systems and and look at financial systems for the barriers that are are there both the the concrete ones that Uh, that we know of, and also the more invisible barriers and acknowledging that, then we're able to start talking about how to navigate financial systems. I think the thing is, is what you were mentioning with a lot of uh, foster care classes, they end up saying, look, here's how you create this, this paper budget. And here's how you open the bank account. But how do you navigate that that relationship with the bank and how do you make sure that you're advocating for yourself in that relationship with a bank? And how do you create a financial plan that really works for your personality and for your personal goals and that's aligned to your values? And so our programming is really focused around that hip hop pedagogy of the self and then your connection to community and then also navigating systems and advocating for yourself within them. Um, So we're covering, you know, the financial fundamentals, but then also those larger skills around moving, moving out on your own, thinking creatively about earning and then navigating the financial world, um, which can be really complex and can feel really scary.
0: Right. Uh, but help me understand how, what this looks like on the ground. You say that you have in-person programs in New York and California. Are they workshops? Uh, how do young people find them and and sign up? And what, what does that look like when you're together?
2: Yeah, definitely. So I can speak a little bit to that and then dialect if you want to add more about kind of how the activities look in action. Um, as far as youth finding out about us, um, we partner with um, program coordinators and foster um, youth directors, largely through the independent living programs that are, that are based locally. And then youth are able to come out to the programs and actually receive a check for being part of them. Um, with what's going on with COVID right now, we are actually taking our programs online. Um, so we're also excited about the potential for that to serve a, a broader national audience, because we're able to, you know, to, to set things up through Zoom. Um, and we've we've been finding that that's been really successful for um, for our youth and being able to use mobile devices and and connect that way. Um, so that's kind of how things get set up and going. But I'll, I'll kick it to Dialect to talk more about what the activities look like.
1: Yeah, you know, we've been doing the things virtually now because that's where everybody's at. It's interesting because we've wanted to introduce a lot of technology before, but. We work in a lot of areas where the communities don't have access to that kind of stuff so we've generally been more lo-fi uh, on purpose but nowadays we've gone uh, digital as well and when it comes to the workshops and the sessions they tend to be we try to balance between practical tips like here are some steps here are some histories of what we've done here's where some of these things come from and then more relationship building things, where we talk about our habits, uh, about understanding the things that we've done, a lot of taking, if you've got you know, like bank receipts or, or statements or things like that, looking back over them, looking back over purchases and making decisions about what's really important to you. Uh, that's really the basis of it is talking like we what we say is values. Our favorite piece of financial advice is where you spend your money is a representation of what you value. You always put your money where your mouth is. So our big focus, no matter what the subject, is really what is important to you, what matters to you, and then how do we figure out how to shape your life around that. So we'll do stuff like we'll talk about banks and we'll say, you know, uh, banks are a useful tool. And then some kids will be like, well, banks took advantage of my mom, this and that and the other thing. And we agree. Uh, There are a number of banks who do a number of harmful things, a number of crappy things. And we understand that. So we dig into banks and we have a workshop where we talk about exactly what banks do and have kids build their own bank by breaking apart all of the ways that banks can make money, all of the ways that banks can provide services and build the optimal bank. And we think that this is twofold. One, our pie in the sky is that maybe one out of these thousands of kids we reach is able to figure out a way to make banks better and make them profitable. But really, we just want these kids to build a model of something that they would like to have so they know what their deal breakers are and deal makers are when they do see banks so that they can use them and not feel like, you know how a bank can just kind of feel like you're in a bad relationship and you you don't know how to get out? And you're just stuck there and we don't want them to feel stuck there we want them to have the avenues to be able to get out and make better decisions for themselves
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so when you're helping these young people make decisions financial decisions around you know how to reach their goals and follow through on their values are you providing career advice as well because the two are so interconnected and education choices how broad do you take the conversation
1: yeah, it, totally broad. Absolutely everywhere. We are talking about your career. We are talking about your location. We have workshops where we talk about finding the best roommate when you're moving out out of your parents or um, or out of foster care or wherever you're going next. You're probably going to need a roommate. If you don't want a roommate, this is what a budget's going to look like for that. If you have one roommate, if you have two roommates... So we talk about, yeah, we talk about all of those things. Uh, Andrea, if you want to jump in.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think to your point too, about as far as talking about earning, like that's such an important piece. And oftentimes that gets left out when it comes to financial programming. It's like, let's look at a budget and look at where you're spending. And there's this worry about being told you're spending in the wrong places, which you know we, we, div- we dive into that and, and really looking at spending with your values. But the whole thing around the conversation about finances, only talking about money going out, like we have to talk about... Where is the money coming in, right? And that leads to that earning piece. And I think one of the things that I found challenging too, like I grew up in a rural area on the reservation where there weren't, there just weren't a lot of career opportunities that were laid out for me at a young age. And we found the same thing with a lot of our foster youth, they often feel like they're being tracked into certain careers just by like, this is where you should go. And these are the steps that you take. And really being able to take that conversation more broadly and think creatively. We have uh, a curriculum that's focused on what we call the creative economy, thinking about the job that's going to take care of your bills now. um, That could be a job that you have while you're in school, thinking about the job that's maybe your side gig, something that like inspires you creatively or uses a personal strength and interest. And then also working towards that dream job, What's that thing that really lights you up and makes you feel like you're having an impact and sharing the things that um, you feel are your strengths out in the world? And by really taking that conversation broadly, we get to know our we get to know our communities better. And it's amazing because we also find that then there's connections happening in the room. We, we call them money buddies, but during those conversations, where then we're learning from each other. So that's part of the, the hip hop pedagogy too, is really taking a non-hierarchical view of like, we're all bringing our strengths into the room. We're all having this conversation. And that's really important when it comes to earning is being able to start the conversation, but also then see each other in par- as partners and potential collaborators and and people that we can reach out to as, as supporters as we all continue working towards our, our career goals. So that's a really important part of every financial workshop because we need to be addressing where's the money coming into.
0: What you're describing sounds like It's a lot of information. Um, I'm assuming this isn't just a one-time workshop, but you said that you have a curriculum. So are these young people coming back and going through a series of programs so they can not only learn different concepts, but maybe share out how they've been applying what they've been learning and what went well, what didn't go so well and learning from feedback from others on how to do better in the future. What, What does that look like to help support their application of what they're learning in these workshops?
2: Definitely. I mean, one of the wonderful things is, is we have high retention with our partners. Um, so we've had youth that come back from previous years and and even volunteer time sharing their experience after leaving the independent um, the independent living program, which is fantastic. Um, because there is a transitional aspect, some of our youth we might see three times a year, some of them we might have multiple conversations with beyond that, um, some we might see multiple years in a row, others we might see just the three points for the one year. Um, but but we do offer through our curriculum and, and with all of our community partnerships, um, multiple touch points. Um, so right now with us being digital, um, we're doing Friday evening sessions um, with our independent living program partners. And so we're seeing the same group of youth that are coming back. So we saw them last week and we were talking about the impact of COVID and having and conversations around our finances during COVID. And then this week, tonight, we're actually going to be um, talking about budgeting and looking at spending with your values in mind.
1: You know we do what is asked of us in terms of the organizations where our whole thing is to fit into wherever people's needs are but our desire is to remain connected in two ways one we want you to understand the full breadth of what's going on with the financial world and how your personal finances fit into that and two we want you to hear it a bunch of times because like you said it's a lot of information and one of the things that we talk about with people of all ages really cuz you know we do adult workshops family workshops is this all is not going to make sense at once and it's all not going to be relevant at once but you need to hear it and see the whole map so you can see what the world looks like and with some repetition and With some getting it a few times and getting it from different angles and then also you finding the situations where it is more particularly relevant to you, the rest of it becomes more clear and becomes more important and makes more sense. I don't want to pretend like, hey, you know, like any teacher, you come into a place and you're like, hey, people, I taught you a thing. Now you get it. Now you're going to go and change the world with it. No, we need to grow within it and we need to build our practice and discipline. I'm particularly thinking about a student that we had for probably three, four years, was always very bright, but was also not necessarily interested in things. And we kept coming back to the program and working with them and she would show up. And I remember after a couple of times going through, she had a couple more questions and then her questions got deeper. And then as she was getting ready to go out on her own, then she came to sessions that she wasn't even supposed to be signed up for and just showed up and was like, hey, I have some other questions. Then she started to reach out to us online. And now she's not only doing better and feels in control of her stuff, but she's out there teaching and is working to organize. And, you know, I I say that as like, you know, the success, success story one that, you know, we're all proud of, but that's the destination, even if people aren't uh, becoming leaders, that they're becoming aware and in control of where they're at. And that takes time. It takes time for all of us.
0: It does. It does. And you've said something that brings up another question. Do you have individuals in your organization who serve as kind of those impromptu financial counselors for the young people as well when they have questions and, uh, or, hey, you know, I want to I make this purchase. What do you think? Uh, just bouncing ideas off of you. Do you have that uh, structure in your organization?
1: That's kind of a complicated thing in terms of compliance with regulation. Financial education and financial advice are separated because of several reasons. Um, Mostly because for two things. Uh, The first one is that in education settings, we're not afforded enough access to a person's entire financial life to give an accurate piece of advice. And that can be dangerous. And in the second case, these students are oftentimes minors. Thus, we are not regulated to give financial advice in that way. We do have a member of our team who's not with us right now. Um, one of the other, the other founder, uh, Pam. Pamela Kapalid, who is a certified financial planner, and she gives financial advice to adults that's part of her other business called Brunch and Budget, where she talks to folks about that. And what we are able to do with students when they reach out to us about things is we can share the education that we have and show what options are available.
2: Yeah, it's oftentimes, too, that's part of uh, us being partners in communities is is trying to also bring awareness to the resources that youth have at their disposal and making sure that they feel equipped to advocate for themselves. So if, for instance, they're transitioning from high school to college and they're going to have access to financial aid, sometimes there's financial counseling within financial aid, but many times for, for a lot of universities and community colleges, you have to advocate for yourself to get those services. They're not just offered. And they're going to be looking at your decision-making around taking out student loans and things like that. So we have had youth reach out just for information. Where can I find more information so that I feel informed going into this conversation with someone that's giving me advice from my university or in making a decision with a financial institution? But that's not something like to, to echo what dialect said, where we'd be giving advice Around like making a purchase or taking out a specific loan, it's really making sure that that our youth all feel more comfortable and confident in finding information so that they can be making those decisions and so that they have the questions to advocate for themselves in those situations as well.
0: Sure, sure, and I think that that is a great—I say call it a skill—for them to be able to make those decisions on their own because so often young people are just told what to do and they don't have the opportunity to really push their thinking around it and make decisions, really sound decisions on their own. So I really like that approach. So what is the age range of the young people you work with?
2: So we actually serve K through 12 and college as an organization. Um, our foster youth programs tend to serve um, ages 14 to, to 21. Um, we have had some former foster youth that come back and uh, take part in the classes uh, to ask questions and to to really come back and kind of get like a, a touch up on their financial foundations and fundamentals. So we're certainly equipped to handle questions beyond that, and we do serve you know K through 12 and college. Um, but for most of our foster youth programs. It is going to be around age 14 to, to 21.
1: Yeah, and that's often because people are interested in, at that age, uh, not just the, the students, but the officials. They're interested in helping kids with that. But we've really found that it's, it's necessary at all ages. And funny enough, we use the same slides, really. It's the same information if you were in second grade or if you were 32.
0: And do the program staff that you partner with, do they attend as well so that they can understand the terminology and the, the concepts that their young people are learning and be able to talk with them about it? I, I'm just curious if that has happened.
1: Well, you know, that's kind of why we were saying about why the slides are the same. When Pam and Andrea first founded Pockets Change, they wrote this huge curriculum and went around to a lot of schools. And all the schools were like, we love it. This is great. We can't buy it because we don't feel comfortable teaching it because we're not comfortable with this information. Because for the most part, none of us have been given this. So when what we try to do when we go into places, especially when they have room and time and they're interested in that for their teachers and for their staff, is that we do some workshops with them as well, professional development as well as family workshops where everyone is invited. Yeah,
2: and our youth workshops, are, our foster youth workshops are open to foster families and staff as well. So we have program coordinators that are sitting in. We have volunteers and staff from AmeriCorps that join at different points. We've had um, groups from Guardian Scholars from different universities come in. We've had um, foster families that um, are taking part with their, with their youth so that they can continue the conversation. And we've had social workers Sometimes join as well, so it's really um, to to what you were saying, like making sure that there's opportunities for everyone to take part in the activities, to continue those conversations when we're not in the room, and then stay in touch with us um, through social media and through email as other conversation points come up too.
1: And a really important thing about that that we haven't brought up is we want them to talk about money. Very simply, we want them to talk to each other. We want them to talk to their foster care folks. We want them to talk to their administrators. We want them to talk to other educators. It's really important to us that we are having conversations about money. The whole thing about money being a taboo doesn't actually serve us. It doesn't help us at all. So keeping these things hidden, keeping it rude to talk about money, to talk about what we're doing for work, That's not useful. So we're trying to do what we can to encourage it, not only when they're in the room with us, but also if this information can be some fun and useful stuff for them to talk to the people that are their family, they can roll back home and rap about it there.
0: Right. Well, if we have individuals listening to this podcast who would like to talk to you about partnering, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you?
2: Yeah, definitely. They can check out our website, which is pocketschange.com. And if you want to take an extra step and you want to think about like how to get those conversations started in your community, you can check out pocketschange.com forward slash personality to find your money personality. And on both those pages, there's a button to book a workshop or to reach out and contact us. We'd love to talk to individuals that want to bring us out into their community. And we do have online workshops available this spring going into the summer and fall.
0: Oh, okay. Okay, great. Now, you've mentioned that you're online and digital now because of the current crisis that we're in is it the program's responsibility to try to ensure that their young people have the technology to, to be able to participate? Um, or do you have any way of, of supporting the young people yourself?
2: Uh, so we we do have um, a Zoom account that we've been using that's, you know, we're reaching out. But what we found has been most successful in, in working with our partners and our youth groups is that they have someone that's on the ground that's helping to check-in with youth to make sure that they have tech, whether that's a mobile phone, whether that's a device. And there are right now too, a lot of state programs and local programs rolling out to make sure that students and youth and young adults have access to tech hardware. Um, so we're working with our local community partners to to make that happen and to do those check-ins before the actual event happens.
0: Okay. All right. And what have been the, the biggest challenges that you've been facing in this crisis? Of course, managing your in-person workshops and going to digital is a big one, but what other challenges have you been facing and managing and how have you been dealing with them?
2: Well, I think one of the things that we're, we're all dealing with is the anxiety and stress that the, the change in just our current climate brings up and making sure to, to have that self-care happening. Um, and then. To to make sure that we're creating space for that in our workshops, one of the things that we've really gotten a lot of wonderful and positive feedback is that our youth aren't getting that same space necessarily in other places to just address kind of the elephant in the room, right? That we're all feeling this, this crazy amount of stress right now in that there's a lot of transitions and that life looks really different for, for all of us. And so having a space to have those conversations and check in with one another and be a community around that um, has been really huge for us as individuals and as a team, but then also within our workshops and in, in our partnerships and, and talking to our, to our communities.
1: Yeah, that's been, I mean, that's really been the big thing We talk about how our relationship with money matters. And in crisis situations, these things become even more apparent. It's funny. We had a workshop with some students before the situation hit. And I think that we had a good time. But there was a part about the relationship thing that I felt like they were a little bit skeptical on. And when we came back to do the virtual session, they were immediately talking about the same stuff that we talked about before, being like, oh, I see now. I see it very very large and very brightly. So now that we're in crisis situation, we really need to understand what our values are and what our relationship is with money and with all these things, because everyone is screaming at us and pulling us one direction or another.
0: Right, absolutely. And uh, and you you just had a workshop. It looks like um, on Friday, mm-hmm. specifically on talking finances during COVID. So you that is that the space that you're talking about.
1: Uh no actually I was I was talking about a different one um but <laughs> we, we we no
2: we yeah we, we got uh, lots of workshops it's been it's been
0: good
1: <laughs> we're working but no um but on that one we did have you know uh, this is a thing where adults kids there's this weird feeling right now we it's like a cross not a cross between it's either and sort of also both apathy and excitement. Because there's this kind of feeling of like, well, everything is in stasis, nothing really matters. Uh, If I wanted to be this thing and like, oh, I wanted to be a sports star or a photographer or whatever like that, like that doesn't seem to matter because I don't even know when those things are going to open back up. But also there's this weird feeling of, well, there's a lot of things out here that I didn't like about the world. There's a lot of systems that I didn't understand or didn't want to be a part of, or I didn't think they were treating me well. And I don't feel like Right now, since there's all of this stuff in the air, we don't have to do things the same way again. So I've seen a lot of creativity from young people because now they're they're seeing that there's an opening to make change in their lives and the lives of others. So they want to see how to go about that.
0: Yeah, you know that reflects resiliency that they can see that opportunity mm-hmm. in uh, in the in the tragedy in the crisis. So wow, I'm glad to hear that. I think what I'd like to ask you now is in we can talk about the current crisis or we can talk about generally speaking, but what do you think that the federal government or states can do either to help foster youth during this crisis, because this is, you know, right now is what everybody's worried about the most, but also when we get past this, that you've seen in your world maybe specifically around finance, what do you think could be done to help support foster youth more?
2: I definitely think there's a lot there, both like small picture and big picture. One of the things that we're finding in our workshops right now and we're, we're hearing challenges and this is both like a current part of the current crisis, but also part of the larger systemic issues is loss of income and concern about um, what's going to happen for summer internships, summer jobs and part time work that a lot of youth are counting on to take care of their bills and that goes to like a larger systemic issue of of helping career development and an access to tools for exploring creative paths for income, and then also just the, the ideas of ex- exploring universal basic income. So a lot a lot on that. And then we're also seeing challenges with housing. So for youth that are sent home from, from school or you know they don't have their placement in the dorms and they might not have another apartment or another place that they can just go back to. So there's a lot of transition happening. And I think that's also, like we're seeing the cracks in the system right, right now. And it's allowing us to look creatively and see the opportunity in that for how can we create maybe more sweeping changes, both in legislation and in the programs that we've run so that our youth are better supported and our communities are better supported around income, around housing.
1: That's all really important stuff. You know, I think, and this is difficult for me because I'm not a policy person, so I don't think that I can say accurately, you know, the policies that are are working. But from an educator standpoint, the thing that's been the thing that I've seen the most and one of the most out is empowerment. Often with these kids, we're told that, uh, well, these kids are told, uh, these kids are told that we're doing everything to maintain their safety. And that's a really important thing. We do need to maintain their safety. They're being attacked in a number of different ways from a number of different angles. And that extreme care in safety often leads to very strictly regimenting the things that they're able to look at as opportunities. And I would like to find avenues where they can be more expansive in that. Andrew was saying about being creative and thinking creatively about how not only we save money, but we make money and the way that we live. I remember I had a student who told us, I asked them uh, what their big goal in life was and if they could put a number on it. And the student said $10 billion. I know that a lot of people will take a student, a 16 year old, I think it was 15 or 16, and tell them, no, $10 billion is not a goal, get a real goal, right? And what I told him was like, that's great. $10 billion. Awesome. That's a, a huge sum of money. So what's your plan? What are you trying to do to get there? And he let me know about all of that. And his idea was he was very inspired by Bill Gates and he wants to go to school for computer engineering. He wants to develop some software and some hardware and do lots of, he has lots of great ideas and he wants to build his business from there. And then I talked to him about that and said, okay, cool. Well, where would you think you would want to go to school for that since you're looking to get a degree? And he already had the school in mind and already knew how much tuition costs. And then we were able to break down. Well, then I guess, you know, it's good to keep that 10 billion number in mind, but uh, the cost of the school is your actual big number goal that you're working towards. And I tell you that because that's a pretty simple flip I did, right? But it, it's not the way that things are generally done. It's generally, no, don't think big. The, the metaphor is usually uh, get your head above water and then tread water. Just, you know, it's a lot of work to tread water. It's hard to tread water. It is hard to maintain. But we do not do enough where we tell our youth to reach for more. And in practical purposes, that means being an entrepreneur. They don't have to end up being a lifetime entrepreneur or invent a product or become a creative that sells a service. But they do need to understand what it takes what the entrepreneurial spirit feels like and what it looks like i know i've worked with students who are well off in my career and i've gone into places where i'm you know i'm bringing my usual bag of tricks to teach them about that and they're like oh no we do that every day after lunch kids who have access to these ideas they don't necessarily have to become the things that they see but they take the parts that work for them and use them as tools to build the career and life that they're looking for. And I just want these kids to have those same opportunities.
0: And to believe that those opportunities are available to them.
1: Yes, yes, that part. The self-efficacy part is also extremely huge. Thank you so much for that.
0: You're welcome. What strategies, if you if you had somebody coming to you and saying, hey, I'd like to start a program like yours, and you were to say, well, be sure you include these three strategies. Right, these three approaches, what would those three things be in your mind that would be most effective or are most effective to help young people, and we're talking about foster youth, but young people in general, get ready for adulthood, specifically thinking about finances?
2: I like that question a lot. Um, we definitely both have to answer this one. Um, so I'd say... The three things that I would say, going to it's kind of coupling on what Dialect was just talking about, and making sure that we're we're really talking and, and exploring entrepreneurial spirit and entrepreneurial skills. A, a big part of starting any business or any endeavor is identifying problems, and I think one thing that we would definitely need to do is acknowledge barriers and and bring light to the barriers that are out there, because that allows us to start looking at solutions. If we're in denial about something being an obstacle, then we can't go about trying to approach it. And so I'd say that's a huge strategy is just acknowledging the barriers. And then from there, building advocacy skills. So a lot of that's from having these conversations, from really creating space where we can be collaborators rather than looking at each other as competitors. And then the third thing that I'd say is, um, really thinking about money and personal finance as a tool and that it's a tool to strengthen your individual life. And then from there to also strengthen your community and to, to change, to change things for the better.
1: That's really great stuff. Um, I'll come uh, from a little bit of a different angle, just like when you're starting any other business, the first question that I ask is what's missing. When you look at the landscape, when you look at what's being done, when you look at what Pockets Change is doing, when you're looking at all the other organizations and what they're doing, what are we not doing? Or what are we not doing in a certain way? Or like, what about our methodology is leaving people out? Who are these people who are being left out? Do you have a, a skill or an inkling or an inclination or some history that allows you a special insight where you see the thing that we're not doing? Even more importantly... Do you have an ability, an inclination, a desire to do the thing that the rest of us don't want to do? When you figure out what those things are, that is the business you will start. And that will tell you all you need to know when you speak to the community about what you need to be teaching them. That's really what happened with us. We looked around at what was being taught and what was being shared and what was out there and said, there are things that are missing. And then we started building and putting together this curricula and started working with mostly kids that other people didn't wanna work with. And we told them things that other organizations were afraid or unconcerned with speaking to them about. We're not even worried about competition. We don't like think that some big thing is gonna squash us out because they're not trying to do what we do. And if you see an avenue for doing something brand new, go and do that. And also holler at us because we want to learn it too.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Well, you know that you've touched on the one thing that I've brought up in other podcasts is this desire that Aging Out Institute has to connect organizations, to break down silos so that we yeah. can share the strategies that are working, the best practices to share ideas and brainstorm. And, uh, and you know, hopefully down the road we'll have maybe a more vibrant community. I know in Facebook, we get uh, discussions here and there and our Facebook followers, but somehow to be able to bring people together to brainstorm solutions to these these problems, these challenges that these young people face. And so by you sharing your program and your perspectives and your advice, that's going to help somebody else. And hopefully they'll reach out to you and you can continue the conversation. That's, that's what we hope for.
1: I love that. You know, talking back about like how hip hop and it relates to rhyme my favorite rhyme ever is each one teach one what you're describing is a cipher this is the whole point of what we're saying we need to open up to not allow our egos and our fear that someone is going to take away our business because that's you know one of the big things that keeps us from talking about money in general regardless of like what it is uh to stop us from sharing things that are good I'm down to have ciphers. If y'all are listening and you are educators, please holler at us. Let's break things down. I'm always open. We're always open. Let's get open.
0: Awesome. I'd love to keep talking to you about this, but I know our time is coming to a close. But before I do um, end the conversation, do you accept donations of any kind for your program? And if you do, how could people get those to you? And is it monetary or non-monetary donations? How, How could people help?
2: Um, We do. We do have a nonprofit arm and we do accept sponsorships for workshops. So if you're an individual that just wants to sponsor a workshop for youth in your area, you can reach out to us. You can do that through our Book a Workshop form if you have a specific group that you're interested in sponsoring. Or if you just want to talk about what a collaboration could look like, you can always reach out to me, Andrea, at PocketsChange.com or through our website, through our Contact Us form. Um, like Dialect said, we we want you to reach out to be part of our community, and we're always down and excited to talk about how we can collaborate with one another and support activities in your area.
1: And I know Andrea didn't say the word donation at all in that, and she talked about sponsoring. Well, I, I really wanted to address that because I know, guys, that, you know, you're not Us, like you're not like trained in these things and learning and building, so like you know, you're not going to run your own workshop necessarily. And if you want to help out, then maybe because of your own work or your own life, the only thing you have time and energy to do is support with money. And we are about that and we appreciate that. And we think that that should be a thing that is being done and being built at the same time. We want to make sure that the money that we're taking is going to folks who are going to need it or just being used for program. So we would love to know if. You could just send us a note if you wanted to send some money. Hey, here's the community near me, or here's something that I value, or here's someone that I would like you to reach out to. You don't have to set up the whole thing like that, but just let us know where you would want us to rock, and we would consider that the type of donation that would be great as well.
2: Yeah, and we do actually take the, the physical donations through PayPal or through, um, through other digital uh, forms. When you reach out through the contact us form, we can give you more information about that too.
0: Wonderful. Well, thank you for sharing that. And hopefully some folks listening will be able to either through donations or through sponsoring or through wanting to partner uh, because they're part of a program with young people that they will reach out to you or to continue the conversation. Right. And and sharing ideas. So I think with that, we'll go ahead and end the interview. Thank you so much, Andrea. Thank you, Dialect, for joining me today. I really, really appreciate that. And I do wish you the best through this current crisis and, of course, uh, continuing on past it, because we will get through this. And and I wish the best for you and your program moving forward.
1: Yeah, the same to you. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. All right. Take care. Peace. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Preparing Foster Youth for Adulting. Any resources or research mentioned in today's podcast will be added to this episode's show notes at agingoutinstitute.org forward slash AOI podcast. If you have any suggestions for people or programs that you think we should highlight in a future podcast, please send an email with your ideas to podcast at agingoutinstitute.org. Finally, if you found this podcast to be informative or useful, we would greatly appreciate it if you would consider becoming a podcast-level patron on Patreon. For only $3 a month, you can help enable AOI to continue interviewing nonprofit leaders, social workers, and former foster youth well into the future. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash agingoutinstitute. Thank you so much for considering it, and thank you for listening. Until next time.